and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about a new phase of beauty with a beauty executive who has worked at major companies and startups and has started one of her own. I'm pleased to welcome Lori King, co-founder of Care, to the show. Welcome, Lori. Thank you. It's so nice to be here with you. It's great to have you here. Can you start by giving us a brief bio? Yes. I am a proud Howard Bison. (laughs) And I must say that um, it really prepared me for the life and career that I was going to embark upon from a business standpoint. And it gave me so much in terms of helping me to dream. And that dream led me to the beauty industry. And the beauty industry is vibrant and has been vibrant for me because it's a way of expressing yourself. I've worked in fragrances, hair care, color cosmetics, skincare, bath body, you name it. I just love it. I've worked with the biggest celebrities and personalities. And what I've been drawn to is this ability to have self-expression for yourself. But in the recent um, years, I've worked in this very small startup community, primarily from a digital or online presence, and have really found that that woman and that audience that you want to speak to is out there. She wants you to speak with her, and she wants you to have that genuine conversation. So you discovered beauty, but was it a destination or a detour for you? I would say that after finishing my MBA from Wharton, I worked in finance. And I decided because of my school loans that I needed some extra cash. So I strolled on over to the Short Hills Mall in New Jersey and became a makeup artist in Bloomingdale for Yves Saint Laurent Beauté. I mean, I went for an interview and I said, oh, I would love to work, you know, clothing and da, da, da. They were like, oh, well, beauty pays more per hour. You get training. And you can have sort of every other weekend flexibility and nightlies that you want. And I was like, I'm in. So I learned skincare and fragrance and makeup. And Issa Laurent is made for women of color. He always created these looks that were stunning. And to this day, I still wear much of the YSL makeup line because of the vibrancy of the colors and the penetration. So it was Definitely not on purpose. <laughs> oh, so when you decided to make it a purpose, when you decided, okay, so you're in finance, you're doing this on the side. When did you decide, oh, maybe I make this a career move? And what was the job that you went after? I was bored doing finance. <laughs> I was like, one more journal entry. I was like, forget it. So I started talking to people across fashion. So I discovered like fashion merchandising, talking to people about beauty marketing, and I started making inroads and literally walked into the door at Elizabeth Arden for an interview in fragrances to work on Chloe, the house of Chloe fragrances back then with Carl Lagerfeld. And they hired me on the spot. Well, not everyone gets to say that they got to interface with Mr. Lagerfeld. 
that is like a moment. Like I tell people that I had lunch with Georgette Klinger and they're like, really? I'm like, yes. Like those kinds of things. And was able to like visit Estee Lauder in her office. That's right. These icons of the industry, they were the icons of entrepreneurship. Exactly. What was the skill you learned working at Arden and with Mr. Lagerfeld that set you up for success? Well, you know what? I have to actually take a step back and say that my dad had a book called You Can Negotiate Anything. And it's interesting because when he got his PhD, this is my dad, someone gave him this book. And I still have it signed by his friend who gave it to him. And that is a skill that I've always used because I've been in beauty licensing for a large part of my career. So not only did I work with Mr. Lagerfeld on Chloe, I worked with Elizabeth Taylor. On the passion? I mean, not the passion. On passion, white diamond. And I grew that whole franchise. Wait, stop. You've grew the whole Elizabeth Taylor franchise. That is legendary. That's like fragrance legend. Absolutely. It was amazing. I loved it. I mean, I had worked on the House of Chloe through the launch directly with Carl because he did photography and everything for the launch. Then they asked me to come over to the House of Elizabeth Taylor. And I mean, she was lovely to work with. Such a kind person, gentle soul. And, you know, White Diamonds was just so dynamic. Like my fifth grade teacher, like loved white diamond so much. She was like, just bring me more, bring me more, bring me the lotion, like literally every gift. <laughs> yeah. That is one of the things you learn when you work in beauty is that everybody wants a gift and what we <laughs> That's right. And obviously you like the passion fragrance, which is a beautiful fragrance, right? Yes. Yes. You worked at lots of brands. What's the difference between the big brands and the smaller ones? Or the specialty brand. What's very interesting is that you can have a large company and work within a really large beauty company, and yet it can be very entrepreneurial, which is what Cody was like while I was there because of the leadership and the CEO at the time. He really, truly gave you the power to make decisions and to come up with creative ideas in order to launch for your different celebrities. So it depends on the leadership as well as the company. I also worked at a John Frieda, which was my first real example of what a smaller entrepreneurial company was like, because I worked with them before they got purchased by Cal. So I worked with John directly. Literally the first week I was there, I got on a plane with John Frieda and we went down to the market. I think we went to Atlanta and Florida and we went on air and I was giving him the talking points. <laughs> and here I was totally, you know, fresh and new to hair care. But hair care for me was something I had such a passion for, problem solutions. So the types of companies you go to, it really has to do with the people. And working within these smaller entrepreneurial structures, I just found that you have this lean thinking that a lot of big corporations just don't always have. Yes, because it's lean methodology before lean startup started to come into play. That's right. And it was a natural thing. I mean, I'm an original staff member of L, and the difference of working there at the beginning and eight years later when I left, where things had become siloed, is at the beginning, you knew everyone and you could talk to the publisher or the president and the people from Murdoch and all of those kinds of things. But 
you're able to like kind of dream bigger when you're in those kinds of spaces. You know, people say dream your world. Well, you know, you can start to build a career or see yourself and try on lots of different hats to see what works for you. That is so true. And I mean, I've always had an entrepreneurial sort of chip in me. And my parents are not entrepreneurs. They were, they're educators. You know, it was really my teachers in East Orange that brought that out in me. I mean, in fourth grade, I sold and made sandwiches and sold them to the teachers. Um, and we had a little assembly line and I was organizing everybody. And I mean, even when I was working at Bloomingdale's and working in finance at Merck, I started my own jewelry company called To Bead or Not To Bead. And I was selling jewelry, you know, in the conference room at Merck and at the shows in the city at Lincoln Center and the Museum of Natural Art. And then when I got to John Frieda, I was like, wow, look at this. You know, they built this from one, two, three people sitting in an office in Greenwich, Connecticut. And look where it is today, 60 people. We're almost getting to a $100 million brand. I mean, that's back when I was there. And it was amazing to see the growth. And so I love and have had a passion for seeing things grow from a seed of an idea to something bigger. That's amazing. So I want to go back to the book, You Can Negotiate Anything, because when you were working at Cody, fragrance licensing was like really taking off on the next level. So Elizabeth Taylor was one era. But while you were at Cody, another era came, you know, kind of celebrity on steroids and the beginning of the influencer movement. And I remember the first time that we got a chance to chat is we were having a meeting with Halle Berry. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> and we just clicked because we knew people in common and Halle knew them too. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, this is not a regular press thing. That's right. Working with Halle Berry was truly special. And for back then, it was the largest sort of mass fragrance launch in sort of that category of beauty that year. And she was 100% dedicated and in it and excited by it. And it was a different phase of celebrity licensing. I'd also worked on Celine Dion, which had been around for quite a while. But we also then signed the Beyonce and the Katy Perry and and Lady Gaga, etc. So Cody was really churning it out after they had kind of created authority with JLo fragrances on the prestige or premium side of the business, where we were really doing what we felt was a reach out to the entire market type of approach. And Hallie wanted everyone to be able to purchase her fragrance. She wanted it to be affordable. And that was very important for her. At one point during, you know, celebrities having their names on a lot of them, there were times when you could tell the celebrity actually had no input and their name was on it. And then there were times where you could tell that they spent some time in it, you know, had some commitment and were really serious about associating their name with a brand and a product. Yeah. Did you work with the Kardashians too? No, that was after I left. Because that would have been interesting. But I do think it was like celebrity on steroids at Cody. I can't think of that enough. Yes. And influencers are important today in terms of their relevance and who they are. And everything has shifted. You no longer have supermodels on the covers of the magazines that you have worked at in the same way. You have celebrities. You used to have Hollywood A-list stars, unreachable, untouchable they would never be in a television commercial here in the U.S. You'd find them in Japan, on a TV commercial, et cetera. But that's gone. 
And the age of the influencer is definitely here. And it's now moving into the real person as an influencer. Right. And it's the democratization of appearance. Anybody can be famous if they find their tribe, their audience. That's exactly it. And there are plenty of celebrities, you and I both know them. When you ask them and you ask that question about when did they first want to be a celebrity? Did they know they wanted to be famous? They will say, I knew it when I was in grade school that I wanted to be famous. And I think that it's shifted. There's a lot of young people that probably wake up and say, I want to be famous. There's a higher percentage of them. And famous for them is different. It's not about being on everyone's TV. It's just about getting the hot hit on TikTok. Right. That's true. They're not thinking about longevity because we are in the Insta society in more ways than one. So, you know, you can go viral and you try to hold on to that and parlay that into something larger whenever possible. What do you think is the key to career longevity in corporate beauty? I've grown up in a period where going into beauty was really being in a place where there were quite a few women and women in leadership positions. And at larger companies, they're really starting to embrace that. And you can see that now through Cody. I mean, Estee Lauder has always really been there. And as long as the attitude around women belonging there is emphasized, then there'll be more longevity for women who come behind me. And I think that their career longevity in beauty, it's like career longevity in any consumer or CPG firm. As long as people are listening to you because they believe you've done the research to understand that consumer, then you can leverage that knowledge in order to be successful. Because there's always, for some reason, a new insight, a new color, a new formula, a new something that doesn't quite perform for hair. There's always something. And that's why the industry is going to grow. I mean, it's going to grow to $50 billion in five years. And that's the power of the beauty industry. It's growing. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. And how do you think embracing more Black women and women of color in the beauty industry can benefit the industry? First of all, women of color and Black women in particular purchase much more in terms of beauty product, you know, in terms of their sales percentage overall. And they need to be paid attention to. And you're starting to see it from the Unilevers that's about to launch a melanin skincare line. And they would never go after these fragmented segments of beauty before. But all of these smaller players are targeting that and they're showing strength of acquisition and Unilevers and Procter and Gamble's, they don't want to invent everything, but they also have a philosophy around only building billion dollar brands to start out with. So that's what they start out with. And most of us that are beauty entrepreneurs don't start off with, I want to be a billion dollar brand and I want to be a unicorn today, like a Glossier. We start off with a vision of what we want to serve the audience 
or our own personal needs. I mean, I want to see a Cosmetic Executive Women's Award back when I was at John Frieda by coming up with a hair care product that worked on my hair specifically. And it wasn't just for me, but it was all of these other women that had different hues, whether they were of Jewish heritage or Mediterranean heritage or, you know, as well as African-American heritage, etc. And I think that there was so much of the industry that feels like there should be a one size fits all for everyone. And that's just not the way it is. We want to be spoken to directly for ourselves. So by these companies embracing women like us and listening to women like us, and we have a voice in the room, then products will start to come out for us. Yeah, that's great. Now let's talk about your new entrepreneurial venture, which is so exciting. How long did you think about entrepreneurship before you took the leap into this? I'd always wanted to start my own company. I just didn't feel I could. And that comes down to confidence. You know, I'm sure a lot of us come up with ideas and we sit here and we say, oh, well, I can't do that. I have this dedicated job with a corporation and this is how I was trained. Why am I dreaming over here? (laughs) Well, after working and building this last business for an investor called CO Beauty, a medical grade silicone patch that you basically apply to wrinkles and it smooths it down, I said to myself, gosh, here's a segment of women that really love this patch. They keep coming back. They're loyal. We're having a conversation with them. And I said for myself as an entrepreneur, I can reach a segment of women. I have a voice. And also, I said, do I really want to go and work for someone else? So after you had this aha moment, what'd you do? How'd you find your partner? Well, she and I have been very, very best of friends for many years, but we also worked with each other. And I think that's the big difference. Because she was a strategic consultant within the beauty industry and fashion and lifestyle, there was a natural coming together. We were introduced by a mutual business school friend. She was in undergrad with him and I was in graduate school with him. And so we'd been to the same parties. But then when we saw each other in the halls of Cody, I was like, what are you doing here? (laughs) You know, and so she was consulting to the CEO at the time, Barrett Bates, and a lot of the sort of executive management team pre-IPO. And we needed her help in global marketing. And then when I moved to CO. I called on her to help me come up with the brand concept, the naming, the colors. She came up with the name, CO, which means silicon and oxygen on the periodic table. And you know how hard it is to get a name for a brand. She came up with our name, CARE, the I in CARE for you, for the independent, invincible, incredible woman that you are. Tell us about your target market and what you guys developed together. You know... As women that were in our 40s, we started looking around. I said, you know, my friends are aging differently. I'm noticing the skin changes. And sometimes I was like, wow, you look 10 years older than me. What can I do to help myself? And we also, both Celeste and I, got inquiries all the time. What should I be doing? How can I calm this down? Everyone thinks their skin is sensitive. And we said to ourselves, there's a woman out there that isn't being spoken to when it comes to her skin. And what's happening is most of the brands out there, almost all of them have a one size fits all approach. You're seeing the same commercials. You're seeing the same brand, whether you're 30 or whether you're 80. And they all say these things work for you. 
and 95% of them focus on surface hydration. So we said to ourselves, we've got science knowledge. And through a science partner that I knew, we developed a partnership together and came up together with these formulas to really combat what we call sort of hormone decline in the skin and helping to rebuild the structure of the skin. And this sort of hormonal decline really accelerates once you get into your 40s and 50s significantly. Starting at the age of 30, you start to lose 1% of collagen per year, 1% of hyaluronic acid per year. And what's happening is the structure of your skin ultimately is starting to collapse. So that's why as you get older, people in their 70s and 80s, you'll see this extreme sagging, right? And a lot of that is because the structure underneath has kind of dissipated. And once you go through menopause, there's such a steep decline that it becomes significantly more noticeable. And that's where women don't understand that we need to actually trigger more of what's inside to grow itself. So we're triggering your skin to create more hyaluronic acid. We're triggering your skin to turn on these latent seeds that are underneath your skin surface in order to generate and come out so that your skin automatically plumps. And we have two products, a serum and a mask, that both are focused on rebuilding the structure of the skin or building the skin back up, as well as providing much needed hydration, moisture, and clearing up the skin. So for example, one of our big fans is Chef Carla Hall, and she has used the product for months because she started it pre-launch. She and I went to Howard together. Hate you. <laughs> you are not the first Howard guest. I've had several. <laughs> you know, we were in the same class as Kamala Harris. Okay. Yeah. So we're a very tight tribe, I guess you could say. And she's a big proponent of the brand, Carla is. And the reason is because her acne cleared up that came back after menopause. It's good for redness and all of this inflammation effects on the skin. But what's really happening is the mask in particular, she uses it three times a week. We say to use it like once or twice a week. It's because it purges the skin. It cleanses the skin out. So it's basically flushing out the pores. So it's not allowing for that bacteria to really get in there. And it's also causing you to have much more hydration. So you'll notice a change when you don't use the product. And that's what she's noticed, even with her makeup application. So are you with the two products, you know, your two hero products, are you integrating them into existing skincare regimen? Are customers doing that? Yes, absolutely. So we do have future items in the pipeline. But as any sort of entrepreneurial company, you have to dedicate your resources carefully. So we've decided to focus on a serum because it's really about skin health and skin nutrition. Getting your skin to better skin health is very important for the aging process. And that's why you can get that glow, you can get the diminishment of the wrinkles. So creating this serum at an attractive price point, meaning in a $50 price range versus a $200, $300 price range is what we feel comfortable with in terms of saying to our friends, this is something that we believe in. And we feel that this is the right price point and fair for what we're providing to you. And that's very different than the La Mares of the world. I don't mean to call anybody out. Or the Barbara Sterns of the world, you know, the doctor brands that charge all of this money to be very prestigious. But we have a very high quality product 
And one of the influencers who was on the line, and we had a press event last week, was Mamie McDonald. And she tried it on Sunday, and she sent me a text, and she said, I've just finished the mask. I put on the serum. She goes, my skin is so smooth and soft. She said, it's like glass. And she said, thank you for coming up with a superior product. That is high praise. What I love about this line and just the way that you're speaking into your customer is you're normalizing a conversation around menopause and its impact on the skin, but you're not doing it in so that it feels serious, but it's part of life. There's humor in the way that you're communicating with the customer and it still feels not youthful, but current doesn't make your customer feel like the world has left her behind. Tell me a little bit about that decision of speaking to your customer in a specific way. Well, you know, we are grown-up women here. We're confident, knowledgeable, successful. We have raised families. We have created so much for ourselves. And yet, this whole menopause conversation, everybody is like, it's a downer. Everybody is like, I can't talk about it to anyone. Well, why is that? Or if you're in a corporate meeting and you're sweating and you've got a hot flash, you still got to power through. Women are amazing. And so why not have this conversation in a positive way? Why not do it with pro-health in mind instead of, yikes, menopause is here. It's awful. This is about embracing this woman with a genuine voice, one where she feels that she can trust who we are and she can have a conversation with us in a way that allows her to have a voice and not feel invisible. Keeping women of a certain age visible is a major feat and such an important focus because so many feel invisible, feel like they're not being seen for whatever the reason. How can people buy the two products? We're currently available online at our website, carebeauty.com. And that's, you know, care with an eye. And we just started selling a few months ago. So it was really a soft launch because it was just through the holiday period. Now January is when we're officially launching. So look out for us. Okay. So this is a new line, folks. And what is exciting is that it's the products contain the ingredients everybody's Googling, hyaluronic acid. We're home now because of COVID and people want more hyaluronic acid and it's in the care products, among other things. I think that that's really exciting. And the price point makes it such that you will not be afraid to experiment, to take the chance on the product. It's a good entry point on that note too. Thank you. And it's true. And it's not just one type of hyaluronic acid, which is what you'll find at the Trader Joe's. This is three different types of hyaluronic acid, including the tiniest one you can buy in the world, which means it penetrates even more deeply. What was it like to launch now during a pandemic though? You know, it's very interesting. I've been very fortunate. In the investor community, there are a lot of opportunities that you can pursue. And they're typically technology-based. But my co-founder and I were very fortunate to be accepted into a prestigious accelerator, an investment accelerator called the Entrepreneur's Roundtable Accelerator last June. And they have over a thousand applicants and we were one of 11 companies. We were the only 100% women founded 
business and also the only women of color 100% business. And we were the only consumer products business. So we were in this cohort with all of these guys, except one did have a co-founder who was a woman, two companies did. And to be embraced by these very knowledgeable people who were running the program, to have given us the opportunity to receive funding of $100,000. Really nice. That's right. And then when we finished the program, we did what's called a demo day, where you do a presentation to investors. So I did a demo day presentation to over 500 investors, and now we're actively fundraising. So they train and develop you. They believe in you. They become an advocate for you in order for you to launch your brand. And they're still there for us. They're still cheering us on. They're still a resource for us. And their whole network has embraced us. And to launch during a pandemic, having this opportunity for growth has been phenomenal. The reason I said that's decent about the $100,000 seed investment is, I don't know if you're aware that a lot of times when founders are in accelerators or incubators, the kind of money that's available to them is significantly less at the end of the day. The kind of investment dollars that they get after spending the time and their talents. So the amount that Lori and her partner received is enough to make a difference in terms of meeting some milestones in their launch. Absolutely. And I talk a lot with my guests who are entrepreneurs about whether there's value in incubators and accelerators. And often many say that the jury is out because they feel over-mentored and underfinanced. Right. This is one of the preeminent accelerators here in New York City. And they modeled themselves after Y Combinator, the very prestigious tech accelerator in Silicon Valley. So it has that foundation of success. And they've had over 200 companies go through this accelerator over the past 10 plus years. So it's a real nurturing place. But I have to say that because I was a part of an investment incubator prior, and some of the companies that were there with me when I started CO Beauty, I was exposed to this investment world. I networked with these guys, because they were all guys, except for one woman, and I networked with them. And these were the people that vouched for me when we applied, or for us, Celeste and I. So the power of the network, in addition to that skill that I learned, negotiations, networking, valuing the network, nurturing the network, is just as important. You think about how long you and I have known each other, right? And here we are today. And I believe in staying connected to those people who there is something special. There is something that connects. I mean, I still remember running into you on an airplane in Hawaii. (laughs) I mean, who would have thought? Of all places, yes. Of all places. So connection is very important. I think that it's a core part of our brand as well in terms of I get calls all the time from different founders and I always help them and support them. And I want everyone to be successful. So embracing that, giving back, because so many people have helped me, just like these guys helped me get into this accelerator or vouch for me, is something that we all have to do for one another in order to lift each other up. 
What's the unsung skill you need to make it as an entrepreneur? Multitasking. (laughs) You know, honestly, in order to be a successful leader and be an entrepreneur, you have got to know how to be super organized and project managed. I mean, you can't run these companies any longer without an Asana or Trello or Slack and being on top of the technology curve to get your team moving. Because one thing I learned in being in other incubators, you could really work anywhere and you could be virtual and you have to trust your team. Young people today want the flexibility to work on their own and they can be successful on their own and they don't have to be under you all the time in order to be successful because they're technology savvy. So let them do it. And the lazy ones, they're the ones that have to come in and then you've got to manage. (laughs) But multitasking and being positive for that team as well. Well, I think that's so much gold here, Lori. Just so many gems. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. What's the first beauty product you ever tried or purchased? Girl, you know it. Ultra Sheen and Vitapoint. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, we were always trying to get our little baby hairs to come down. And we were trying to make sure that we didn't have dry skin or flakes in our head. <laughs> and, in our, and our curls were lying down. So <laughs> I was like, what a question. I can remember that one. <laughs> and, you know, my mother was Chinese. She knew nothing. And she figured this out. What's the most recent beauty product you tried? I, as a lot of us are doing, supporting Black-owned brands. And I have a a Juvia's Place eye palette. My sister actually gave it to me in my stocking, and I wear it every day because I'm so proud. And I find that there's a lot of different brands out there, but when I can support something from someone who's of color, I will do that. And when you asked me this question, I looked around all of my beauty products. And I said to myself, I could do better and finding those products. And a lot of people are supporting me. So being a black woman, it's the embrace of others that are supporting me. So I want to continue to lift others up as well. I love these answers, Lori. What's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? I'm a, a weekly facial girl, but I don't go out to do my facials. I do them on my own. And I have my own LED light panel. And in terms of What would I leave alone? I don't think chapstick really works. (laughs) (laughs) Who was your beauty icon growing up? And who deserves that status now? You know, it's very interesting. Now that I've already told you I worked with these iconic Hollywood stars, I'm actually going to go further back and say that, you know, I went to this little public elementary school in East Orange called Nassau School, and the principal was Black. And my kindergarten teacher, fifth grade teacher, I had a lot of black teachers. And when I think of my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Moore, she was a tourist just like me. She's no longer with us, but she always saw a spark in me. And she was this beautiful, dark-skinned black woman with an Afro. And she would wear all of these different prints and colors. And she really defined for me what black beauty was, as well as creativity and how you could embrace your creativity and color and be who you are. I mean, she put me back then in, you know, our little school production of The Wiz. And I was like one of the witches. I was like, I don't think I can sing, but she was like, go, go. And she and our daughter, we went to Central Park here in New York and 
listen to the singers from The Wiz, and she brought her old program from seeing The Wiz on Broadway, and she was sitting there singing with me, and we had so much fun. But that beauty and that school became sort of this example of greatness that you could be, and you could be a melange of colors and be accepted and brilliant and confident. And that's why, for me, there's no individual person today that is a beauty icon. You know, beauty for me comes from the inside as well. And to me, that represents every woman and who we are. And every woman has that spirit within them and that beauty within them and that radius within them. And some may not feel that. Some may have depression or mental illness, but there's always something that can bring goodness and a smile to even the most depressed of people. And life, the way you wake up, many times it's a choice. If you choose to be happy on a rainy day, you're going to be happy. And that's how I live my life. Ooh, these things are leaving me speechless. This is where we're going to end because Lori is being profound and I am... So grateful, really, really grateful to have you as a guest. The generosity of spirit, your honesty, and your desire to really make your customers, the people you interact with, feel beautiful is apparent. It's really, really palpable. And I'm excited for where you're going with care. Thank you so much. And it's beautiful to be speaking with you and to have an opportunity during these times of COVID to bring a smile to each other and to embrace each other and to be generous with each other. I think that it's a great way to live life. And if we can share some of that beautiful spirit with your audience, then hopefully that will help them have a better day. Well, I know anybody listening to this will have a better day after having heard this conversation. Thanks again, Lori. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here. 